I'm copping some flack here from the front row about the length of my title. <laughs> it's actually not meant to be a title, it's just meant to be a tag. And, and I didn't want to leave poor Gaius out of it. And it sort of, whom I love in the truth, sort of just sounded a bit goofy. So I sort of thought that most people wouldn't be able to read the first line anyway. But um, obviously people have better eyesight than I give them credit for. Um, <laughs> or glasses, yes. Of course, I'd forgotten about modern technology. Um, but as the title suggests, I am preaching the word from three, the three John, the, let, the third letter of John. We've gone from one John to two John, and surprisingly enough, we're finishing with three John. The only reason they're actually numbered like that, because who's whoever bought, got a Bible when back when they were books? Anybody remember those? you sort of tended to get the feeling that everything in the Bible was actually set in concrete, that somehow that it was, was made that way, that God had caused it to be placed in a holy order in, in the right places in the book. Even the paper was different. You ever notice that the paper in Bibles is different? And, and, and it came as a bit of a shock to me to discover that the only reason that 1, 2 and 3 John are in that order is because one's longer than 2, which is longer than 3. And they thought, well, let's just put them in size order. They had no other reason for differentiating between them other than that. You sort of think, well, it doesn't sound very holy. <laughs> and no, it probably isn't. But the, they, they, you, have to, you have to order things some way, and so that was as good as any. But they weren't necessarily written in that order. In fact, they probably weren't. And in fact, 2 John and 3 John were probably written at about the same time and possibly even sent to the same church about two different topics. And so we've got the Apostle John... In his elder years, he's probably around 70 to 80 when he's, he's writing these letters, he's still involved in church life and he's still writing letters to churches, giving people advice and acting as the, the elder or the authority for these churches that he's planted. And so the first two letters that he writes are to actual organisations, church organisations. But this one is actually written to a guy called Gaius. And because it's a short a piece of scripture, I'm going to actually read you the whole epistle, all 17 verses, 15 verses of it. And so th this, is, this is the letter of John to Gaius. And he starts, and people started letters in those days slightly differently, but it, it's, it's reasonably friendly as a letter. It says, this letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you're living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. What's he excited about in that paragraph? The truth. What is it again? Just checking your way. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord. They accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. I wrote to the church about this. But... Uh, Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refused to have anything to do with this. 
When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the travelling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and then we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. So it's a bit of a chatty letter. And so we sort of think, well, there's 15 verses. What, what can we get out of 15 verses? And it's, some of it's just a bit chatty stuff. But it's under the surface, there are some interesting concepts that he's trying to get across uh, to Gaius and about the people around him. And as we've noticed, the word truth gets used a lot in this letter. He talks about the truth as though the truth is actually a person. And he does this on purpose because he believes that the truth is a person. And he is trying to get across to, to Gaius that he needs to place his faith in this person. And if we read, and I, I know you don't remember, but 1 John and 2 John contained clues and, and in fact actual statements as to who John considers the truth. And if we go back to the Gospel of John, we find that he, he talks about it in there. Um, so what is the truth? What is this truth that, that John is trying to sort of, in a friendly way, get Gaius to hold on to so that he remains strong in the faith? Well, he says in verse, one, in, in verse 1, this letter is from John the Elder, I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Now he's sort of implying here that Gaius isn't somebody he grew up with and went to school with and has, has achieved best friend status through knowing him all his life. He says, he is my friend in the truth. So Gaius, we suspect, and we don't know for sure, is actually one of John's disciples. That John has met Gaius, told him about Jesus. Gaius has become a Christian and has gone on to be a leader and in fact is probably the pastor of the church that he is talking to. And so he's saying, this is Gaius whom I love in the truth. Now interestingly, if we go back to last week to John, if we look in 2 John 1, it says, this letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children whom I love in the truth. So it's almost word for word. It, the words of the third letter. So, and it goes on to say, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. So he's actually encouraging both the church and Gaius himself that the, the key to a successful life, the key to holding things together is to live in the truth and to have the truth live in us. And the truth, of course, is three things to John. The truth is Jesus the truth. Jesus who abides in us. And if you're taking notes, um, don't turn off your tablet because <laughs> that'll make it tricky. I panicked because the screen went dark and then I pressed the button which turned it off. <laughs> so 
If you want to find those scriptures, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 4, and 1 John, uh, chapter 3, verse 24. The, th- the second thing that John thinks of as the truth is the word of truth. The word of truth abides in us. Uh, John 15, 7, and 1 John 2, 14, and 24 contain the references to that. And the third thing is, of course, the spirit of truth abides in us. And that's uh, John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 talks about the spirit of truth in us. So John is trying to get Gaius to hold on to his faith and recognize that the spirit of truth lives in him, that he is a child of God, that God, as Jesus, the word and the spirit lives inside Gaius. And so he goes on to give Gaius his blessing. He commends his faithfulness as evidenced by the testimony of people who have seen Gaius in action. You see, we get another truth is that if if the truth is in us, people should see it. And so John is confident that Gaius is the man because he's heard reports from people who have come into contact with Gaius that he actually truly outlives and outworks the truth inside of him. So he's he's pretty pleased with Gaius. And so that leads us into the next point of his letter, is that he mentions three people, all with funny names. There's Gaius, there's Diotrephes, and there's Demetrius. Is anybody old enough to remember Ross Ryan and a song called I Am Pegasus? <laughs> was, a gr- was, a, was, a great, was a great song... And in the middle of it, there's this line in the lyrics that says, I am Demetrius and John. And I often thought, who the heck are Demetrius and John? Well, now you know. He plucked it straight out of three John. In fact, if you look at the lyrics, there are quite a few biblical references in that song. It's actually quite a good song, and if you want to look it up, you can find it on YouTube. Um, And uh, for those young people who need educating... I suggest you do that. So, so we've got these three people that he's talking to. Now, of course, Gaius is the recipient of this letter and is obviously loved and respected and a disciple of John's who's ministering to a church where he's having a few issues. I don't know any church that actually has issues, so this is, this is something we should take note of in case it actually happens to us. Um, and so he, he's... He's got these issues, and John greets him. And this is quite a famous phrase that's used a lot. He says in 3 John 2, Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are in spirit. Now, a lot of people, and I've talked about these people before, those who remember the Bible as an actual book, uh, often remember this translation uh, of that particular, this wording. It says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And that scripture has been used by many a preacher to to preach on the fact that God wants us to prosper in all areas of our life. That prosperity is not, I mean, it's it's the old uh, steak on your plate while you wait instead of pie in the sky when you die. Um, And a a lot of preachers have preached that uh, obviously prosperity is something that God has ordained for his children. As Christians, we should strive to be prosperous in all other areas of our lives, not just our spiritual life. But if you actually read the, the uh, New Living Translation, it, it, it actually says, I hope all is well with you, 
and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. So John is putting a heavy emphasis in the, you know, I hope things are going well and I hope your body's well because you need that because you need to be strong in spirit. And so the strength of spirit is the important thing. It's not about doing, doing good in everything else. It's a question of if you want to be strong in spirit, you better make sure you're healthy. And I hope that all the other things in your life are going well also. But he doesn't say that God has mandated that prosperity is for you, health is for you, and by the way, it's good to be healthy spiritually as well. He's saying, no, spiritual strength is the key to what you are doing in your church. But to keep that going, you need to think about your health and you need to make sure that you're applying your strong spirit to the other things in your life. You notice that John talks about how Gaius is treating travellers, travelling preachers who are coming into his church. And so John's inter- uh, John, Gaius's interactions with those preachers are actually a sign of the other parts of his life going well. He's actually taking his spiritual strength and he's using them in his interactions with the people coming to his church. And so people are reporting back that Gaius is actually a man of his word. All is going well with him because he's putting his spiritual strength to use in the rest of his life. So be wary. I mean, and it's good that the rest of his life is going well. Because the testimonies about his kindness, his goodness, what, what he's doing, his care for people, his love for people, it, it is good to hear. And that's the sort of prosperity that we need to have in our life, that our spiritual strength is actually having a physical ramification. Because if it doesn't, then things aren't going well. So this is all about checks and balances. So John commends him for his, his hospitality and... And this means a lot more than just saying, hi, welcome, yes, you can preach on Sunday um, and we'll take up a love offering. Um, these travelling preachers, are often it was dangerous travelling in those days. Um, it says that they didn't take anything from non-believers. And so to, to have them come to your church and treat them well meant you had to put them up, you had to feed them, you had to protect them, um, you, you had to sort of... Get, get them ready to preach the word of God. You had to have discussions with them. You'd find out where they came from, their credentials. It was quite a complicated process. And so Gaius obviously has this done really well. And he's doing it for Jesus' sake, just as the visitors preaching are preaching the gospel for Jesus' sake. And so both of them are playing their part in the mission that Jesus has given them. And so then John mentions Diotrephes and Demetrius. And these two people are are slightly different characters. Now, in 2 John, he's talking to the church about false teachers. Now, poor old Diotrephes here is not a false teacher. In fact, Diotrephes and Demetrius are people who have joined this church. And I would imagine that both of them joined this church with the same ideals. They came to know Christ. They've been... Saved, baptised, anointed, they're part of a church community and their heart is, or started off being, for Jesus as part of that church. Now somewhere along the line, as as we see here, it says, Diotrephes loves to be the leader. Diotrephes is an idiot. 
He's not a false teacher, but he's setting a bad example. Uh, the actual Greek says, Diotrephes loves to be first, which sounds as though he's got a slight air of self-importance about himself and he's pushing himself uh, forward in church leadership. But he has his own ideas. He's not submitted to Gaius's leadership. He's not submitted to John's leadership. And he's, he started to do foolish things like refuse to accept these travelling preachers um, and has in fact sent them away, even though they have a letter of recommendation from John. And if he's found people in the church who have looked after these people, he, he's asked them to leave. I mean, he sounds a bit like a nasty piece of work. But in fact, John says, I've sent letters to the church, but Diotrephes has got them first and refused to pass them on. Which is why John has sent Demetrius. Because Demetrius is somebody who's the opposite of that. He's grown up in that church, but he's faithful. And so Gaius has sent Demetrius to John. And John is giving the letter to Demetrius to make sure that it doesn't fall into Diotrephes' hands on the way back to Gaius's church. Is that all clear? I'll explain afterwards. Um, I realise I'm having to talk about all this because I was going to talk a bit more about Easter, but Nathan spoiled it. He, I was going to surprise you with the resurrection thing and he, he just blurted it out. I mean, um, so anyway, so we've got these, these two people. Um, and yeah, th this happens in church life. And I think it's very easy to look at this particular scripture and think, eh, this sort of looks like one of those stories of a wolf in sheep's clothing, or, or perhaps it's a morality tale about how certain people become tyrants as soon as they taste a bit of power. Or perhaps it's a story about how the good work of the gospel can be undone by church members who try and sabotage their pastors. Um, but see, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's actually any of that. What were those guilty smiles over there? <laughs> You see, all of us could be a Demetrius or a uh, Diotrephes. I'm sure they both started their Christian walk with the best of intentions. But somewhere along the way, Diotrephes took a wrong turn, made a bad decision, perhaps saw an opportunity for personal gain. And whatever it was, it turned him down a different path to the trustworthy Demet Demetrius. And I talked about, at the beginning of this series, about how far apart the resurrection and these letters were in New Testament chronology. They're about as far from the crucifixion of Jesus as you can get and still have somebody who witnessed that event. John is probably one of the last remaining people who actually witnessed Christ's crucifixion. And so the issues John is facing... We're like the church today, a result of people not having experienced the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ themselves. This was the first time we were getting into unknown territory where church members were actually starting to hear and starting to get a, 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 a collection of writings together rather than listening to people who came around talking about how Jesus had affected their life because they'd, they'd been part of his circle, they'd seen the miracles, that they'd been transformed by Jesus and they were now outworking what Jesus had left them to do. Those people had all died. And so the, the, the people's faith was now being based on, on different things, different teachings. And people were starting to 
get divisive about some of these things. And so it's interesting that John's story about three men is actually a mirror image of the crucifixion. Because Jesus dies on a cross with two people, one either side of him. They were two men who, when they got nailed to those crosses, were going in the same direction. They had the same, um, I hate to call it a career, <laughs> they were criminals. <laughs> um, and they were possibly, uh, if we look at the history of it, part of the same criminal gang. In fact, their gang leader was probably supposed to be the guy on the middle cross guy called Barabbas and the story about in fact no I'll, I've got a message on Good Friday which will talk about that although I probably won't mention this so <laughs> no no don't worry about it no it's not not important it's, it's, uh, it's just a scriptural thing none of that's important um, so at the crucifixion, Jesus was flanked by two others who began with a common attitude and on a common path, which was one of destruction. One of those men changed the direction of his life on that cross right next to Jesus on that day. In 3 John, we hear a mirror image of this story. There are three, three people. Gaius represents Jesus and Demetrius and Diotrephes, the other two. They both started off the same, but one changed the direction of his life, but this time for the worse. We can look at both of these accounts in the light of the cross and realise that when we come to Jesus, we all have that choice. We all have a cho choice to turn our life in a positive direction or a negative direction. We all have a choice to take on board godly authority or to reject it. We all have a choice to learn from what life gives us or to let it crush us. We can choose to rise above circumstances or just lie under them. The commonest phrase we hear is, well, under the circumstances. You have to ask the question, what were you doing under there in the first place? Get out. So we're all represented by Jesus on that cross, even though as, as probably Gaius, Diosthenes, what was his, did I get that right? Diotrephes, that's it. Diosthenes was somebody else, wasn't he? He wasn't in the Bible, forget him. <laughs> and Demetrius were never physically there. And yet Jesus' death on the cross affects them just as strongly. On Good Friday, I'm going to be talking more about the three crosses and how they, the, the events of that crucifixion affect our lives today. The choices that we have. One of the important choices that I'm going to talk about on the cross is that the fact that one of those people next to Jesus made a decision a decision that changed his life and the great thing about the Easter story is that in talking about that decision it is a great time for people to come and hear that story again and recognise that they might need to change their life we invite people to Good Friday, not because it's, it's, it's great fun to have communion over in the ministry centre and include people, although it is. It's not so that we can say, well, this is, this is our biggest service of the year. I was going to say second biggest, but that's defeatist thinking. 
Not that we've, we've had a crowd that's filled this place and the atmosphere was great and the vibe was awesome and the, the worship was fabulous and, and people were excited and, and it was a great way to start Easter. It's because we're giving people a chance to see the story of Jesus, to recognise the power of the cross and to make a decision to follow him. Guess what? They're not going to do it unless we invite them. And I want to encourage you this week to... Spend some time praying, thinking, and contacting people. I'm going to ask the band to come up in just a moment. And we, we actually, who liked that new song? I th- we, we're going to do that new song again. But once I've asked you to stand uh, to sing that song, I'm going to invite you. If, if you have somebody that you've already invited, I want you to come out onto this altar. We, we can continue singing on the altar. Um, and just start to pray that their heart will be open when they get here. You might be at the other end of the spectrum. You might be sitting there thinking, but Chris, I, have no, I, I don't know anybody I'd invite. I've invited everybody. They've said no. Come up on the altar and just pray for God to put someone in your path. Um, you know, somebody maybe at the counter at the deli and sort of orders the same sandwich as you. So you can say, oh, look, you've got the same taste in me. Would you like to come to church on Friday? <laughs> It might not work quite that way. <laughs> but if it does, don't let it go. <laughs> um, but we, we need to have a, an attitude that recognises that our life is in God's hands because of a decision we made. Other people haven't made that decision and yet they are as important to God as we are. And so I believe that we, we need to honour God by at least giving those people a chance, at least putting them in front of a gospel message that says you have a decision that you can make to change your life, to bring you into the family of God, to make you a child of God. And that they're going to have a great opportunity to do that on Good Friday, if we can invite them. But before I do that, well, let's just stand. And perhaps if I can get the band to come up. But if you're here this morning, because this is a personal decision, I don't... I don't believe that that we can make that decision lightly. But I do believe that God doesn't wait for special moments. And you may be here this morning and you may be thinking to yourself, well, I've never made that decision. I've never asked Jesus into my life. I've never made a decision where I've turned away from my old life and taken on something new, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it's... It, It's an easy thing to do. Jesus is waiting for us to actually say, okay, Lord, I want to be one of your children. I want you to live in my heart. I want your Holy Spirit in my life. He doesn't force it on us, but he's there whenever we accept his invitation. And so if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never said, okay, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to have Jesus living in my life as my Lord and Saviour. Then you can do that in just a moment. I'm going to ask you if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll acknowledge that hand. You can put it back down. And then we will pray a prayer together as a church, which will invite Jesus into your life. When you've prayed that prayer, you can perhaps come and see me after the service and we'll talk about what your next, next steps could be. You may have done that before, but you realise right now that you're not living or walking in a way that would be considered following Jesus. Jesus says, look, you can turn around any time. Just turn around and say, Jesus, I've stuffed up. I want you back in my life. 
you can do that as well. So can everyone just close their eyes for a moment? And while everybody's got their eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you want to accept Jesus or re-accept Jesus into your heart, just raise your hand so that I can see it. And we'll pray for Jesus to come into your life, for you to be a renewed child of God. Is there anyone here this morning? Awesome. Can I ask you all to remain standing? And if you have on your heart, as I said, anything from desperation to have someone to invite on Good Friday to somebody that you've invited and you know is coming that you just want to make sure that God is working on their heart, then I, I just invite you to, as, as the musicians start to play, just to come forward on the altar, worship up here and begin to just ask God to speak into their lives, work in your life if you need that happening for you. But just worship and pray up here on this altar to get people here for Good Friday to hear the Word of God for their lives. See 